0: psychology nerds welcome to psychology and stuff the podcast out of phoenix studios at the university of wisconsin green bay the show is back for season five i had a nice summer off we really re-released a bunch of episodes we spent some time gearing up for the new season so i have a great guest for you today to kick off the new season but first I have to take care of a couple of housekeeping related things. Uh, First, one of the things I want to do this season is kick off some stories of mental illness. I've had a number of requests for listeners to hear from everyday people who are struggling with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder. And I want to share some of those stories. So if you are someone who wants to share a story like that with me, either on air or just having me read the description, please get in touch with me via the Psych and Stuff Facebook page, Twitter. You can find both of them by searching for Psych and Stuff. You can also find my contact info on my website, alltheragescience.com. Okay, so for today, I have a super exciting guest. She is new to the psychology program here at UW-Green Bay. She's a social psychologist who earned her degree from the University of Connecticut. She joins us after doing her postdoc work at Yale University. Her research is on the link between stigma and culture. And today, we're going to talk about some of her recent work in this area. Welcome, Dr. Elif Ikazaj. Mm-hmm close enough fish it was, it was close. can you pronounce it because i want people to hear it for real sure. all right and Thanks. thank you so
1: much for the kind introduction
0: oh thank you for being here now i had the good luxury unlike a lot of our listeners i had the good luxury of being at your research talk mm. uh which would have been in what may april april probably? i think so yeah and it was fabulous super super fascinating thank so you. I, I was hoping maybe you could start out by just telling our, our listeners about your research program what is it you study that sort of thing
1: sure uh, I, as I, as you said, I work on the link between stigma and culture, and I do it in basically I study stigma. I try to do it from a more culture, cross-cultural lens, and I do it in kind of two lines of research. The first line, I just look at what cultural factors determine stigma and how are they related. And I've done some studies on it, and I'll I can tell more about what I'm working on right now. And in the second line of research, what I try to understand is, so in so- social psychology and behavioral sciences in general, we have a lot of interventions that are designed to reduce stigma and negative experiences of marginalized and stigmatized individuals in the society. And some of these interventions are very quick and cheap and they have very subtle manipulations and they work really well. Mm-hmm. And these interventions receive a lot of media attention. and. This, people love it because they're just so interesting. But what happens is I am looking at what this media attention does in terms of altering the way stigmatized individuals are perceived in the society in my second line of work.
0: Nice. And that is one of the things I remember from your research presentation, and just being really intrigued by. Because, and I'm hoping you can kind of break down, especially that second line for people. Because sure. I, I was, I remember being really kind of blown away by, um, Kind of the, because I find myself as a consumer of, mm-hmm. of the media, you know, thinking like, oh, that's a really interesting finding, you know, mm-hmm. but but in some ways it feels like what they're really saying is, look, oh, look, you can undo institutionalized discrimination with just a simple thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or something like that. So maybe walk people through what one of those studies looks like.
1: Sure. So. The studies I used in my experiments were all very simple interventions, as you said. And the studies themselves work really well. So, for example, one of them was about uh, reducing the race gap in education. And the study itself is very simple, and it has great results, increases Latina kids' grade, grades over a long period of time. The study is really interesting. And actually, I asked my participants what they think about that kind of a study, covered by the media or more like traditional, really long, like kind of intervention that includes tutoring, includes changes in the curriculum and things like that, like this kind of a very long Mm -hmm. traditional type of social psychological intervention. And my participants said that they find the more short and sweet one, more interesting. Hmm. So actually, from a journalist's point of view, they are doing a really good job by covering those studies because people find those interesting. They think it's of a good journalistic quality. But what happens is that down the line, this kind of coverage has negative effects and that, as you predicted, people who read this kind of media coverage think that stigmatized or marginalized individuals that the study studies aim to improve their lives off they end up being blamed for their misfortunes so it leads to just reading this type of media coverage leads to victim blaming
0: wow okay so how how does that happen how did do we have a sense for how that is interpreted that way by by people or by consumers so
1: I haven't looked into the how yet Okay. but uh, we know that conservatives for example have a bigger tendency to do that. In one of my studies I showed that that was the case. So it, it does depend on, it does kind of depend on how the coverage is done, if it's presented as a magic solution or if it's presented as like a tool in a toolbox, but it doesn't resolve the issue completely. But the type of the consumer consuming the material really determines the outcome. And that's really interesting because overall, social psychology is um, blamed for having a liberal bias, Mm -hmm. but it actually shows that sometimes studies that might be accused of having been conducted with liberal bias might end up being perceived really negatively by more conservative folks.
0: Right. Or even contributing in some Mm -hmm. ways to... Definitely. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you. So how did...
1: How did you become interested
0: in this? What? When did you start studying it and what kind of brought you here?
1: So I was interested in, so I think as a, I'm Turkish, I'm from Istanbul. So I was always interested in culture and just more aware of it in general. But um, what happened was I was actually a chemistry major. All right. Which is, so if anyone's listening and they are thinking of switching majors, <laughs> I hope this gives them some relief.
0: It can be done. Yes, I was a math (laughs) major, so there you have it. There you go. Were you uh, in undergrad? You were a chemistry major? Where would you go to undergrad?
1: Bozici University, back in Turkey.
0: Okay, great. So
1: what happens is that in Turkey, you choose either a science math track or like a more social science track back Mm -hmm. in high school. Oh, okay. And then with that, you go into a national entrance exams for university and then you choose a major, and that's pretty much it. It's very difficult to change your major,
0: right. especially
1: go outside of your track once you're placed in a university. And I made a not very good decision and I was in chemistry. And I liked the research aspect of it, but mm-hmm. I was more always more interested in people rather right. than... I was working in a lab where we were dissecting a plant. Okay. And that wasn't exactly my subject of interest. I like the idea of research, but I wanted to switch the participants okay. from plants to humans. So I started taking a lot of, for all of my electives, I started taking social science classes. Okay. And I took a social psychology class and then I audited a, a class on intergroup psychology, intergroup behavior, just okay. randomly. And once I, I finished that class, I was done. It was like, okay, this is it. And I think what was one of the most like turning points, it's so odd, but I was watching TV Mm -hmm. and a very prominent cross cultural Turkish psychologist, Chidam Kelchibushe, was on TV and she was talking about her research. And while I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is it. Like, Hmm. whatever this is, I need to find out and be part of it because. This is what I'm curious about. So that's how it became. And in the specific research area I'm working on, what happened was I was always interested in these kind of topics, but more kind of like separately. But then I realized we know a lot about stigma and intergroup behavior and all that. And we know a lot about culture. Mm -hmm. And we know that culture is something that's very embedded in us, that it affects how we perceive the world, even how we perceive a painting. It affects how we see ourselves, how we define ourselves, our self-esteem, all of that. So there is no way culture doesn't impact how we stigmatize others. Right. So, but there, we know very little about how that happens. So I I've, I've thought that was important, especially in a globalizing world, you
0: know? Right. So is this something you started studying in graduate school? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, was it, I'm curious about the transition from chemistry to psychology. <laughs> was it, was that at your university given that you'd kind of selected this track was it difficult to change or was that relatively easy
1: i actually finished chemistry oh wow i just took a lot of psychology classes some just electives and some of them are just overload
0: oh, okay
1: because i i just decided it was gonna be and then i went to i did my master's back in turkey at coach university
0: okay In
1: social I, I, industrial organizational psychology okay and when i went to the interview for my master's they were like, I mean, what, what are you exactly doing here? They were just really confused, <laughs> Right. which understandably so.
0: Oh, interesting. So you didn't just switch majors. You really, you graduated, no, with, graduated. A, with a major in chemistry. Mm-hmm. It, okay, well, that is not what I did. I, I I was a math major, but I made the decision like sophomore year. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't for me. So Well, I would have done
1: it. It's just not possible. Gotcha. Just given oh, okay. the system, how the system structured, yeah. basically.
0: Okay. Do you... Um, this is uh, we're going off script a little bit and I hope that's okay but um, as far as do you find that the skills you learned as a chemistry student are are applicable in your life in any way or
1: I think a little bit in the sense that well the math background really helps especially Mm -hmm. in stats but more than that just how I perceive some things Mm -hmm. for example in I think a lot of the times we try to come up with hypotheses for our studies In chemistry, that wasn't always the case. And it was perfectly fine to do something exploratory. As I said, when I was working in a chemistry lab, Mm -hmm. I was just trying to find out what is in this plant. And that was perfectly fine. So I think that kind of perception Mm -hmm. helps me sometimes. So I do use a lot of mixed methods in my studies, a lot of qualitative exploratory things along with experiments, because I think there is value in both. And I think that's something my chemistry background gave me.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's a really important message for people. I I, Maybe too often I talk to psychology majors who say, oh, but I I don't use it or or whatever. And I think, you know, I don't even know how that's, I mean, I understand what they mean is I don't use material from my Mm -hmm. social psych or my counseling psych class. I don't use that material in my day-to-day life. But I think it's hard to imagine what we mean when we're saying we don't. Like, that's Mm -hmm. part of us, right? It's part of what we take forward into our career and our personal life and our now, I was trained as a counseling psychologist. Mm-hmm. I haven't done therapy in more than a decade, but I use the skills mm-hmm. that I learn as a therapist every day in various. When I communicate with my kids, when I when <laughs> I'm at work, you know, and it's not. It's like those are just things that I I that are part of me and who I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. What are you? Uh, so, what are you working on now? You're you know starting You don't have to give away industry <laughs> secrets or anything like that, but you're. Um, you know you were uh, continued this line of work at Yale in your postdoc mm-hmm. and now you're here about to kick off of essentially a, a new program or not necessarily a new program of research but get your kind of research program up and running mm-hmm. in a new institution what are your plans as far as going forward
1: so my long-term goal is to have a more exhaustive understanding of stigma and culture okay. if we have some sort of model that predicts which cultural dimension predicts stigma in what way, that could give us a lot of help. So that means we can tailor stigma intervention in different cultures, and we can have more effective interventions, for example, just as one example. And that also means we understand stigma more broadly and more exhaustively. So for that, currently I'm working on a project that I started during my postdoc Mm -hmm. in collaboration with Jack Davido from Yale. I am working on understanding exactly that, Mm -hmm. just starting that line of work. And I had studies looking into that before, but I had data from only two cultures. And this time we have data from 60. We are working on a large data set. And that is really important because without having a lot of cultures, there's always a limitation that it's not an exhaustive explanation. And you see the cultural differences, but you can't really explain the how or why of the difference very well. But with a lot of cultures at hand, it's way more possible. And the other project that I'm really excited about is um, on mentoring. Mm -hmm. So during my postdoc, I was on an NSF-funded project on mentoring of postdoctoral scientists. And that is again related to stigma in the sense that in the culture of STEM, Mm -hmm. science, technology, education, uh, not education, engineering Mm -hmm. and math, Mm -hmm. uh, women are often stereotyped negatively. And there are all these stereotypes such as women are not that good at math and things like that. And we know that that impacts their performance and so on. But there's also the broader problem of that might potentially impact how much they want to stay in advanced research careers and how persistent they want to be in it and whether they want to pursue it or not or their productivity and so on. So. In this project, we are specifically investigating how mentoring can change that, mm-hmm. and if mentoring can help create an environment where that doesn't happen, or how, like, what aspects of effective mentoring can help okay. balance that out. And mentoring specifically is an area I'm particularly excited about nowadays. Okay. So I'm hoping to work more on that okay. for the future.
0: Very, very cool. Thank so, you. Um, So some of our listeners are UW-Green Bay psychology students. Are you looking at um, taking RAs? Yes. Okay. Definitely. So how should people let you know if they are interested?
1: Email me. Awesome. But there will be a, I will upload a form on my website, but it's not up yet. Okay. So go to my website, read my research, see if you're interested. Perfect. And email me for now and then in a couple weeks, fill out the form.
0: Super. Okay, very good. Anything else you want to say about your research before we move into the our five questions? Help people get to know you.
1: I just love it.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: I'm I'm biased, obviously, but I'm really interested in it.
0: <laughs> well, it's super super fascinating. I mean, I <laughs> remember you. thinking at your at your job talk, like just how cool it was and what a good, um, what a really interesting area it is, and and being super intrigued by it from a professional perspective, but also a personal perspective. You know, I. Um, just thinking about, um, you know, I have children who belong to a marginalized group, and thinking about what what impact that has on how people perceive them mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And so, um, I, uh, yeah, I just, I really think it's great. So I'm super excited to learn more about it.
1: Thank you. So, I appreciate it.
0: So let's um, let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about, or, or I've got our our game of five questions. If okay. you are ready. Yes. Okay. So. is this
1: a game where there is winning and losing or uh,
0: no okay that's good uh, I don't think so that's Um, good I I guess in the sense that you know I get to win because I get to learn more about you our (laughs) listeners get to win I don't know if that means that you lose though because I think it's
1: that's good yeah it's a win-win
0: yes so basically I will uh, draw I wish I had a hat I don't (laughs) <laughs> I have a bunch of scraps of paper here okay. um, with random or with questions on them. I'm going to choose from them at random mm-hmm. and we're going to choose five and I'm going to lose count at some point. So you'll have to remind me. Great. And then we will uh, we will uh, go from there. And if you want to skip any of these, you are welcome to. Okay. So uh, what is your favorite travel spot?
1: Ooh. There is a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think... It is Portofino in okay. Italy because okay. it's very small Okay. and it's by the beach, but it's very beautiful. Okay, and I love the beach and warm hair, warm nice. weather, and everything. So,
0: so where? What body of water would it be on? The, it, Mediterranean, is it, is the Mediterranean. It's the Mediterranean. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. If, is there part of Italy that's on the Mediterranean, and then part that's, or is it all in Mediterranean?
1: I think there's part that's more like. Inland.
0: okay Yeah, like oh, on cool. the
1: Alps and everything. Okay,
0: gotcha. Mm-hmm. Very nice. All right. I have not, I actually, I take it back. I have been to Italy, but it was very brief. But I, uh, yeah, so. The food. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, and I actually, I've been to Turkey. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So it was part of a, I went on a, I took a cruise from Venice to Dubrovnik. Ephesus, mm-hmm. which i'm pronouncing it correctly yes um so and then santorini mm-hmm. and then in corfu
1: oh that and, sounds great
0: yeah it was amazing we had a, it was our it was 10 years ago almost mm-hmm. exactly because it was our nine-year anniversary so um which was really we had an amazing amazing time so
1: it's, it sounds like a great destination yeah. i yeah. actually went to a concert in ephesus oh yeah it was it was beautiful because of the natural acoustics.
0: Oh wow, yeah. that was so so cool. I mean, it was really great great pictures from that mm-hmm. day. It was really fun. It was really hot, but it was uh, we were there in August, but it was really <laughs> really great. So and it was funny because Dubrovnik was not that was not on my radar at mm-hmm. all. You know, that was sort of a stop that we I didn't really know what to expect. And man, wow, did I have a oh, great really? time! Yeah, it was oh, okay. beautiful.
1: I have to look into that. So, so
0: yeah, we went kayaking out mm-hmm. in the and the city is super interesting. And oh, so, nice. Yeah, it was really fun. So we turned it into my tr- favorite travel spot. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, oh, I, I gave you a clue this one was coming. But if Hollywood made a movie about your mm-hmm. life, who would you like to see cast as you?
1: What age are we talking about?
0: Uh, let's just say right now. So...
1: If I say Emma Watson, mm-hmm. would that work? I think she's sure. younger, but I really, oh, I think em, she's really cool. Yeah,
0: I got her mixed up with someone else. Yes, Emma Watson. She's great.
1: She's really, yeah.
0: I have no idea how old she is, but I, so.
1: I think she's a couple of years younger, but I think nice. they, they have technology. Yeah, work.
0: we can make that work.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: She, um... I, lit- I just reread all of the Harry Potter books with my son, <laughs> and we watched all the movies afterwards, and so I'm, uh, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, so, very cool.
1: and if that doesn't work, Natalie Portman, Oh. because obviously yes. she's an amazing she actress. She is also amazing,
0: yeah. so yeah, she, um, you know, I, when she was a, like a child actress, she was in some movies that I loved. Yes, I,
1: I Leon.
0: Yes, oh. I think here it was called the professional. But yes, yes. the
1: professional. Um, it was one of my favorite movies. It's amazing.
0: I think I own it on VHS. Really? Actually, which just that's commitment. A, yeah, which tells you how old <laughs> I have no place to play it because I don't think I have a VHS player. But I have it. So, um, I worked at a video store, so I ended up getting that stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah. All right. right. Do you have any hidden talents? Chemistry is one that I didn't know about, but there's probably some.
1: Well, I made a vow to use my chemistry knowledge to the good of humanity. Okay. But if that wasn't the case, technically I know how to dissolve people.
0: Oh, nice.
1: But I don't plan on using it.
0: I'm glad to hear that. But technically, you know how.
1: Technically, I have the knowledge. Okay. Uh, so.
0: That's alarming, but. I'm...
1: And I, I bake well, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also using chemistry, right? Yeah, I bake um,
1: like really healthy stuff like yeah. all this like gluten-free sugar-free stuff but it turns yes. out okay it just yeah. looks really bad but the taste is really good
0: i um, i'm on a new health kick for the last like two or three months and i'm loving it and super super happy about like good, healthy food all of a sudden. That's which good is, to know. We'll weird. share
1: recipes. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. My recipes are going to be very limited, but it'll be like <laughs> grapes. I love grapes. Okay. I, I'm eating a lot of fruits and vegetables that I I think I didn't realize I loved mm-hmm. until I started to really commit to doing that and, and getting rid of other stuff. Oh, so, that's is, great. Which is fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Tell us something about yourself that would surprise us. You already told me you know how to dissolve a human. That would surprise well, I me. I guess but maybe we have.
1: I really like really bad reality TV. Nice. But we are talking about it's not like there's some element really, of really good. It's just really like Ooh. we're talking about The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, nice. Kim oh, Kardashians, okay. like that kind of stuff.
0: Are you Desperate Housewives? Of, I haven't, is that a show? Wait, no. I real Housewives. Think, real Housewives. I okay. think I
1: would like it though. Oh, okay. So I really enjoy it. But nice. if you ask that asks anything about that to me in public, It'll what be. I will say is I am a social psychologist, and this is me observing phenomena and phenomenon in society. Yes. But that's not the case. I just enjoy it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense though on both fronts. I I know lots of people who love that stuff.
1: They just don't tell you.
0: Yeah. I don't, I've not watched, I've watched one episode of The Bachelor Oof. with my, just because of that, I was with my family and they were watching and mm-hmm. so I was intrigued, but.
1: So. Do you remember who The Bachelor was? No. It yeah. really depends on The Bachelor.
0: I remember there was, they were, the episode was framed around this woman he had gotten rid of. Okay. Being a stalker. And she was this might have been like ten years ago that she had like come back oh like she was refusing to leave in some way. And I and it felt very contrived, mm. but it was also felt like this like people were really into it. So
1: it sounds very staged. Yes. But that like in a way that I would be really into it.
0: Yeah. I mean the people I was with really were too. I <laughs> suspect if I'd started at the beginning and kind of followed things yeah. through, but so yeah, I, I that show has been more or less off my radar, but um but I know people love it. Mm-hmm.
1: So Yeah, there's a show, actually, that's about the producers of the show. Okay. But it's a fictional show. It's called Unreal. Oh. And I would really recommend it. Huh. This, this one's actually, I think, good TV, at yeah. least according to me.
0: There was a, a show. It was on for two seasons. And it was so funny. It was called, I think it was called Joe Schmo. Is I haven't this... seen it, no. So... That might not be the name of it, but the premise was it was a reality. It was like a Bachelorette type of show or Bachelor type of show, but everybody except for one person knew it was staged. So it was like a big prank show on the one person.
1: That's amazing. And
0: it was really, really clever. And they had two seasons. It was on, like, TBS or TNT or something like that. It was really, really funny, Um, and... I mean and, and you watched because of, eventually it's revealed to them that mm-hmm. it was all a prank and uh, but it was good it was really good that's
1: so. amazing it sounds like something like a social psychology experiment yes. that the IRB would not approve
0: yes I think you're right when, and part of what was interesting is that they actually the second season one of the i guess victims right one of the Mm -hmm. people who was being pranked figured it out and so yeah and she so they took her off the show and then they taught her everything and sent her back but now she was in on it and then they brought in a different like victim you know and so i need to find this show it it was pretty cool (laughs) like it was they they dealt with it pretty well so they used the same host but because the first show had been on he had to like do a British accent and they oh. gave them all sorts of makeup so that they wouldn't know. It was really something. So, wow. Well, yeah. Joe Schmo, I think it's called, but I'll, chances are that's wrong.
1: I'll definitely look into so, it.
0: Awesome. All right. But, Least favorite food is our last question.
1: Pickles.
0: Pickles, really?
1: Yeah. And oh. capers, because I think they are the same family of food and, huh? They're just the most overrated thing ever. Oh. I'm actually very passionate about it this. It seems
0: like you were certain about that. Yeah, there was no hesitation certain. at all.
1: I do not like pickles. pickles. Okay. Huh.
0: All right. Very good. <laughs> all right. So that is it for five questions. Thank you very much. Of course. When we come back, Aleph is going to tell us something positive in a segment we like to call What's Good. What's Good. Hey, this is Ryan Martin, host of Psychology and Stuff, and I wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast coming out of Phoenix Studios. It's called Cannonball, and it's where Dr. Chuck Ryback and I will talk about that which is canonical. So we'll be covering the great works from across a variety of disciplines, everything from Romeo and Juliet to 1984 to Super Mario Brothers. We'll cover it all. We'll bring in great guests. All sorts of fun to be had. You can find it by searching wherever you search for podcasts. That's cannonball, and cannon is spelled C-A-N-O-N, as though we're talking about the cannon. All right. So, Aleph, tell me something good.
1: In psychology? Sure, yeah. I think what I really like Mm -hmm. lately in social psychology is that we are expanding in our methods. Mm -hmm. At least that's how I feel. And for example, I use a lot of mixed methods. That Mm -hmm. means both like a mix of qualitative and quantitative methods at the same time. And there's a lot of use of big data that I also like to work with. And these are becoming more and more widespread and used complementary or separate from experiments. I think that's very important, and that gives us a lot of new information Mm -hmm. that we didn't have before, because we're not priming participants or constraining them to the answers we thought of mm-hmm. but instead of instead of that it's more naturally occurring and we're just looking at what is going on and I'm very excited about that and the other thing is I think open science is becoming more and more widespread and I think that's very important so nowadays in social psychology I feel like it's becoming more and more the norm to register your hypotheses be more transparent with your studies and so on which I recently registered hypotheses for the first time. So it was... Oh, wow.
0: So it, where do you do that, is it?
1: It's on Open Science Framework, okay. OSF. Yeah, and it's very like user-friendly okay. to do. And it's, it's really nice, because then you get to be really transparent about your work. And I think it's very important in relation to the whole being able to use more exploratory methods, because if we are registering them from the get-go, then we can be as transparent as we want, but still be very exploratory. And we don't necessarily have to have hypotheses.
0: Very nice. So first, some of our listeners might not be quite as Mm -hmm. savvy research-wise. So break down the difference between quantitative and qualitative methods for people.
1: Sure. So uh, qualitative would be something like, let's say you have essays written by people, and you would code them in terms of different aspects of the Mm -hmm. essays but quantitative would be more like an experiment or a survey where there are specific answer choices that go from let's say 1 to 5. So it's it's giving you a numeric representation of their attitudes or behavior or thoughts.
0: Right. Very nice. So mixed method being kind of a combination of both those. Yes. So you've got the you've got the numbers but there's also a, an opportunity mm-hmm. to explore sort of open-ended questions. Exactly. So exactly. That very nice Thank yeah and so um, re- related to the open science thing for listeners if you're new to the show you should listen to an episode we did a while back on the replication crisis that talks a lot about the importance of open science why this is a thing why this is um, something that psychologists have been uh, uh, well concerned about for a while so very nice do you have anything to add before we finish up
1: I'm just really happy to join this department and be a part of UWGB, and thank you for hosting me.
0: Yes, thank you very much for doing this. Um, So uh, actually, before we go, can you tell me where can people find you if they want to know more about your work? I know you've got a website you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Can you tell people where that is?
1: It is uh, if they go to, they just go to my faculty
0: website. There's a link for it. Perfect. So uwgb.edu slash psychology, Mm -hmm. you'll find the faculty page and then it's linked from there. Great. Uh, Anywhere else? Are you on Twitter? Are you anywhere? I
1: am. I'm not super active.
0: Okay. But I am on it. Okay. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. So, for our next episode, we are going to be joined by another member of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program. That is Dr. Chris Vespia. She's going to talk with us about some recent research on the effectiveness of therapy. Until then, I hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Psych and Stuff. Go there for additional information about psychology, ask questions, even suggest an episode. I quickly want to thank our producer, Kate Farley, who does all the things, and our podcast artist, Kimberly Vlis, who is in the process of designing something really rad for another Phoenix Studios show that's going to come out in the next couple weeks. That's all we got. Until next time, keep being amazing.